Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friend. Welcome to episode number 269 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic, and entrepreneur, here to help you figure out how to get your life together and take back control of all the things that feel so out of control because life is hard and we're all in this together. So if you come from a dysfunctional upbringing or have failed relationships and struggle with boundaries, codependence, people-pleasing, you will want to tune in to this episode, my friend. We're going to cover all the bases of toxic traits in relationships, emotional abuse, selfishness, and everything in between. And you may be surprised by a few of the details I share about myself. My guest today is a true coach, and I say that because he is in the trenches doing the real, life-changing, emotional, and difficult work, not only with his clients, but he's doing the work himself. And that's what makes a real coach and an effective coach is those of us that are really doing that work every day on ourselves as well. He's a regular guy, he loves to play guitar, being out in nature, and he went through some major life-changing events. He had a breakdown in the desert thousands of miles from home, and that breakdown led him to his breakthrough, what we would call in our world a rock-bottom moment. So he started his own journey of healing, and that led him to be the behavior and relationship coach he is today. He also hosts two super successful podcasts, The Overwhelmed Brain and Love and Abuse Podcast, and we are going deep in relationship issues and the nuances we all struggle with every day. If you want some super valuable insights into those toxic traits that make you crazy, it's all in this conversation with Paul. And I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite episodes of Addiction Unlimited. Let's welcome Paul Coliani. Oh, this is so good. Paul Coliani, thank you so much for coming on and doing this show with me. Why don't we start with just taking a minute and tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? Definitely an honor to be here. Thank you, Angela. Um, I have been podcasting for uh, about 10 years now, I host a show called The Overwhelmed Brain, personal growth, personal development, boundaries, values, authenticity, self-esteem, self-worth. And uh, also I uh, host a show called Love and Abuse. It's about emotionally abusive relationships and how to get through them, how to deal with them. And um, everything before that is me just trying to figure out life from a dysfunctional upbringing, uh, lots of alcohol in my family when I was younger. And so I had to do a lot of healing and getting through that. So I went through uh, a, a lot of, I, I guess, changes throughout life that has helped me uh, become a healthier person. I would like to think a healthier person. So did a lot of moving and things like that. But that's my whole life in a nutshell, uh, trauma, dysfunction, and then healing. And now I host a show like you. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty natural progression in life. 
(laughs) So was it for you like getting into this work and becoming a coach? Was it really from your personal experience in healing? Is that really what made you want to help other people? What's interesting is I've, I used to work in, in like a corporate or in organizations. And I would always be the guy that would stay late and talk to people because they would say, Oh, I have this problem. And I would be empathetic and I would listen. Oh, tell me all about it. And then I think I had the answers and I would try to help or I'd just listen if I didn't, if I didn't have the answers. So I, um, I was told by like a partner in my past and, and I realized maybe I can help more people. Maybe I do have some sort of experience here or gift or whatever it is. And so I just started to explore that a little bit in my thirties and, um, started studying. And the more I learned about um, helping other people, the more I learned that I needed help myself. And so as I studied and practiced and I learned like things like hypnosis and NLP and all this stuff that they teach you on life coaching and things like that. Um, I started learning a lot more about myself and realizing, geez, I need a lot more help than I realized. And of course my relationships weren't working out and I thought I got to do something. There's something going on in my life. I got to change something. So it was either help myself and then help others or help myself and help others. Or so I had to make these transitions. And so it all kind of worked out in the end, but that's why I just, I felt like, um, people kept coming to me and asking me questions or just confiding in me. And so that felt like a natural direction for me to take. Yeah. I can relate to that very much the same way. So for you in relationship work, were you the abused or the abuser, so to speak. I feel like those are really harsh words, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, those are great. Those are great questions because I have to I have to work through that with uh, the people I work with too. It's like, you know, I'm going to call this emotional abuse because that was who I was for a long time. I was an emotionally abusive person to my partners. Everyone else I was kind to and supportive. And so Inside the relationship, I was this, you know, I was this double life and uh, my partners had friends that didn't see this side of me and it was very covert. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about it so nonchalantly now, but it was a huge issue and I was a big at, uh, yeah. can I say that, a-hole. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just did a lot of things wrong. And, and um, so uh, to your question, um, I was the emotional abuser. And there were times I was the victim of emotional abuse as well. And growing up, my stepfather was an abusive alcoholic. Fortunately, I never felt the physical effects of that, but other family members did. And of course, the fear when you're a child, when you have an abusive person in the home, that was that I would say victimized me and caused a lot of trauma and caused a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms. I had to figure out how to survive as a child and the problem is when you do that, when you're in any type of dysfunctional, toxic environment is that you take these old survival mechanisms into adult relationships and you screw everything up because if they don't work, they don't work anymore when you're an adult. (laughs) So, uh, I was pretty much both. I had to heal from both. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the transitions that I was thinking of, I got to heal myself and this person needs help, but here I need help. And I feel like an imposter if I'm helping them, if I'm not helping myself, so I had to work through that, but that's a, a great question because I experienced both sides of that. Um, not proud of one of those sides, obviously, uh, but I think I had to go through that to learn what I 
had to learn to help others as well. Was it hard for you to admit that about yourself? Like, was that a difficult, because I see this a lot in coaching, right? Where people are very sensitive to their own issues or like in 12 steps, we call character defects, right? Which I love that Mm. term. It's such a simple term and, you know, being a 12 stepper for a million years, that's an easy one for me, an easy way for me to understand it. But I feel like people are so sensitive to really facing those things or seeing things that they consider negative in themselves and really accepting that, facing it, dealing with it. I too was a very emotionally abusive person and Mm. also had been on the other side of it. Also, it came from a caregiver from my childhood, right? Where I had all of that Mm. stuff. So I get it, but... I got very excited to face that stuff and very excited and hopeful at the prospect of correcting those pieces of myself so that I could feel better about who I was as a human and so that I could hopefully someday relationship better and not be the damaging person in the relationship because I've been the damaged person in a relationship too. And I know that doesn't feel good. So to understand that I was also doing that to other people was a major light bulb moment, but I was excited to dig into that and start to change and better myself where I feel like a lot of people are very sensitive and defensive about it. What was your experience? Yeah, that's interesting you say that because it sounds like you had a lot of forethought. Like once you discovered maybe these things about yourself, wow, I could change this and I could heal and I can get better and have better relationships. I didn't have those thoughts. Like the thing that happened to me was I was in, I was married and this was like my fourth maybe major relationship in my life. So my marriage, I'm like married, this is supposed to last forever. This is great. I'm married and we'll never get divorced because marriage is forever. That was my thought. And, uh, you know, four years into the marriage, I knew her for eight years, but four years into the marriage, she's like feeling depressed, losing her passion for life, needing a, uh, a break and moving in with her mom for a while. And I thought, okay, what's going on? Maybe. And I, and my thought is it's all her, something's going on with her. So I'll leave her be, I support that. I thought I was being a supportive husband, but at the same time, um, when she left, when she, when she, went on her own and with her mom and stayed up there a while. The plan was to get back together and reinvigorate our marriage. But when she was gone, I realized, oh my God, I, I just had these realizations because when you're alone, when somebody else is not in your thoughts all the time, you realize what you might be, if you reflect, you might, what you might be doing, like, what can I do? What have I done that might have caused this? I think that was the question I asked, asked myself, what, how do I contribute to this? I started asking myself questions like that. And it just dawned on me and I thought, oh my God. And I, and I started feeling sick because I used to put her down for what she ate. I used to make her feel guilty. I gave her the silent treatment and withheld love, all terrible, abusive things. And, um, no wonder she's getting depressed. No wonder this, our connection is, you know, going drifting. And, um, while we were apart, I I started having that realization and that realization wasn't a starting. It was actually just a a shift, complete shift in consciousness. It was the first time I actually felt empathy. Like what would it feel like if I were her experiencing my withholding love for hours or days at a time? Oh my God. I I literally felt sick. I was, I was about to throw up. I was, I felt so bad because if that were me, that's how I would feel. And, um, that I, I just realized I needed to change 
everything about me, a lot of everything about me almost, uh, at least how I uh, cope and how I behave. And these are words I didn't use back then, but I can't do this anymore. I can't do this to her. And it, it was exciting to think that, oh my God, I could save my relationship. That was my exciting part. I could save my relationship. Unfortunately, when you turn off abusive behavior after so many years, they don't just jump up and down for joy saying, hey, hey, you stopped abusing me. This is great. Let's let's fall in love again. This is wonderful. No, now they have PTSD from all this abuse and they don't trust you. They don't feel safe. And you have so much to go through. And if they still have love in their heart, maybe there's a chance, but she didn't. So she locked me out. After that, she sealed her heart shut because she just felt unsafe. So after that uh, realization that I was doing these behaviors to her, um, that shifted me completely. And it wasn't about being excited for myself. It was about, I need to change or else. So it was, it was more of what I didn't want instead of what I did want. I don't want this in my life. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to hurt this person. I don't want to all these things that just drove me. So that, uh, that was kind of my motivation to go in that direction. And just a real quick, every step I took in that direction made me feel lighter and lighter and lighter, more healed, less burden on my mind because I was always burdened thinking about how do I control her? How do I change her? That was a burden on my mind constantly. And once that shifted and, and left my brain, I felt so much better. And uh, that was also the time I decided to stay single. I said, you know what? I got to stay single because I keep screwing up these relationships. This is the point that I need to heal. So at that moment, I decided to stay single. That's when everything shifted in that direction. I too have had those major breaks, right? In staying single, same thing in the, this is like, I need time. I need to figure this out. I'm not... Good dating well. <laughs> and and for a long time, I wasn't picking well, right? Because you repeat those patterns right. in your partners as well. So even unhealthy relationship patterns, uh, emotional patterns, you know, you repeat all that when you pick partners. So if you're not emotionally <clears throat> well, you're going to pick people who aren't emotionally well. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it is when you have those moments of like, okay, hold up. Like, this is not going well. Like, I need to chill out for a minute. I need to figure me out. And my next question for you is, what are some of the most common toxic traits that you see people carry within themselves? You know, for me, it was definitely no boundaries, no self-esteem, codependence, you know, the standard mixture is that the most common stuff that you see with people? That's a great question. And you've covered that on your show a lot. I've looked at all the titles of your episodes. I'm thinking, how can I add to this? Um, I think for me, first of all, like you've talked about people pleasing before. People pleasing was a huge, uh, a huge toxic element of my life. Now, I have learned to control my people pleasing. And so... I can use it when I need it because <laughs> sometimes it can come in handy. It can be a superpower, uh, but I don't, I no longer use it as a method of uh, low self-worth and I want to be liked and I want to be loved and all that. Um, but I think um, it goes even deeper than what you asked and you didn't say deeper or not, but I'm thinking of it as in a deeper way, like what we hold. I think we hold uh, at least when we're toxic or unhealthy, 
we hold a lot of um, selfishness. Like I want to do what I want, like I want other people to do what I want them to do regardless of what they want. And so that was like a, a base level understanding or discovery that I made is how damn selfish I was. I didn't care if they hurt. I just wanted it. And so how am I going to make that happen regardless of how they feel about it? And so that, that selfishness, um, it, I, it just, I, I carried that around in all my relationships. And in order to get past that, I had to start accepting things that, that wouldn't come true for me. Like I had to accept that, uh, I couldn't get what I wanted. And that was so hard. Like, what if my, this is my thinking back then, what if my wife gets fat and I don't, I'm not attracted to her anymore. And, and if she eats that cinnamon bun, then I'm not going to, you know, she's going to get fat because of that, even though, you know, all these thoughts that she's not going to get fat right away. And maybe she won't at all, but maybe she's eating because you're mistreating her so badly, which is true. And so, um, I started realizing how selfish that was. That's like saying, I don't want you to be who you are. I don't want you to live your life the way you want to live your life. I don't want you to decide for yourself what is important to you. Let me do that for you. And so all these thoughts that I had and reflecting how selfish I was and how um, the second part of this is how much I continually focused on other people instead of myself constant focus on other people. I'm so focused on what you're eating. I'm so focused on how, what you're thinking, what you say. I'm so focused, focused. And so I, I said, okay, I started asking myself questions. Okay. Um, I'm focused on her then. Oh, it wasn't a question. I think it was a comment I made myself. Oh yeah. That's what I said in any partner in my life or anyone in my life. I, I, I started telling myself if I have a problem with their behavior, that's my problem, not theirs. I just turned it back around. So that changed the focus off of them and put it on me. And that has been hard to do. I have a problem with that. Oh, you're, you're, you're doing this and it's really bothering me. Well, if I have a problem with that, it's my problem, not theirs. So what does that mean? doesn't mean I can't talk to them about it. Like maybe it's a really big problem. Like every time you paint in the house, it's so much chemical. I can't breathe. Let's talk about this because you know, it's bothering me. But if it's, uh, you know, they like to uh, play country music at 3 a.m. and it's <laughs> it's it's in their earphones. You know, if I can't hear it. That's no problem. You know, I don't say, "Why aren't you coming to bed?" No, it's it's their life. It's their life. So that's the two things: is the um, selfishness and the shift of focus, and that that has been the the main uh, things that I focus on myself. Whenever because this stuff still exists inside, some old trigger might come up. Whenever some old trigger comes up. I say, uh, okay, okay, what's going on? First of all, I, what's going on? What's happening? And then I say, am I focused on wanting her to change? And if I am, it's my problem. And if I make it my problem, what am I going to do about it? And that's kind of the final phase of it. It's my problem. So what am I going to do about it? I'm not going to tell her to do anything because that makes it her problem again. I'm going to give it my problem. It's boundaries, values. What do I, what's important to me? And that really changes my direction. And that level of personal responsibility. You know, I learned this in recovery, like getting sober, we do a whole thing with what's the part that I played, 
what role did I play? And Good. you do it in every situation, right? So my brain was very trained like that before I started digging into this kind of work, right? So I always, I tell my audience this all the time, that my first response to any sort of discomfort is I get introspective. Like, okay, why do I feel the way I feel? How did I handle it? How could I have done it better? Why did it not go well? Do I need to make amends? Right? Mm. It's all my part. And this That's is one huge. of the things I love about podcasting because I focus so much on that personal responsibility because everybody wants to point the finger at everybody else and, oh, they're doing this or they said that or my spouse did this and that's why I did this and, oh, that's how they act. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Look at yourself and are you doing these things? That's how you start to heal because it also releases the pressure from the people in your life. Well, you're it not also holding on to it so much. It also absolves you of, of responsibility if you decide to blame someone else, uh, which means it absolves you of being able to do anything about it. Well, right, and it's fault. that, and then it's the it, it's that powerlessness, right? Which I'm not a fan of. I'm a control freak. I I want <laughs> to know that I have some power in what's happening in my life and how things are going. I like being an active participant in curating the life that I want and curating me as the human being that I want to be, where I felt so victimized so much of my life. I was the victim of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, drugs in my family and unfortunate this and unfortunate that and bad things always happened to me and terrible boyfriends, you know, like I was victim, 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 like I had no power, but you're exactly right. That's also the best way to dodge any responsibility and not have to face it and not have to do any work is just blame it on everybody else. I think there's a lot of times when we truly are a victim. You're driving For along, sure. you're following the speed limit and somebody comes out and T-bones you, you're a victim. But I think also at the same time, there is, you lose the ability to make your life what you want. If you say that was 100% not my fault. I mean, it's not about fault. It's about taking responsibility for you being on that road at the time. It doesn't mean it's your fault that somebody hit you. It doesn't mean you weren't watching. Maybe you were watching like a hawk and you were doing everything right. But you did make the choice to wake up that day and take that road. So at least take responsibility. And I'm not telling your audience this. This is me <laughs> talking to myself. Paul, at least take responsibility for getting your car that day, for taking uh, the risk of being on a road in the first place. Because, yeah, we're going to get into accidents. And this, is, this kind of crap is going to happen. And when it happens, yes, you know, go after them legally if, they, if they're not going to pay or if their insurance going to you know, do all the right things. But I, I fully believe that if we, we don't, say I played a role, then we have given away our power. I played a role in this. Even if none of it was my fault, I still take responsibility for the steps I took to get there. And there's definitely somebody who did the wrong thing. I'm going to point the finger at them. They did the wrong thing, but this is where I was. And this is what I take responsibility for. And I'm going to move forward in that because that makes me feel, that makes me keep my power. Because if I give it away, it was all their fault. Now I got to wait for the insurance company. Now I got to wait for this. And I got to wait for that. Everything I have to wait for. And I'm just waiting on them and my life's going to suck until then. Victim, just, victim, victim. I know. You don't go anywhere with that. So you talked about 
taking responsibility for your part in your thoughts and trying to control your partner, right? Whether it's what they eat, what they're doing and understanding, like if it's your issue, it's your issue. And the thing that triggered in my head was it also creates, when you know that your person is judging you for every single move you make, everything you say. You're making me sweat. That was me. I was, I was that guy. I was too. I was too. I was a hundred percent that guy too. And, and I grew up like that. I was raised like that. So I know the, how that feels, you know, but that's exactly what you don't want love to be, right? Like conditional, all those conditions. And like, I'm going to love you only if you're exactly the way I want you to be. And only if you look the way I want you to and act the way I want you to and wear what I want you to. I've been in this relationship too. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a for sure. Yeah. But it it's exactly what nobody wants love to feel like. And And it's what creates all of these walls in all of us, right? Because again, I've been on both sides of that. I've been the emotionally abusive person too, Mm -hmm. in different ways, not super um, criticizing necessarily, but definitely withholding, withholding love, withholding attention, affection, Mm -hmm. um, very hot and cold, you know, come here, go away, come here, that's close enough, like back and forth. You know, I've done all of those things out of my dysfunction. Um, How do you start to heal that stuff when you stay in that relationship? Like, how do you start to heal some of those wounds? As the victim or the perpetrator? (laughs) Ooh, good question. (laughs) That's a whole other show right there. Well, I mean, it could be either because I think here's where my train of thought is. I think so many people in recovery, right, we create relationships and often get married when we are less healthy and in our active addiction, right? So Mm. when I was a drunk person, I dated drunk people. I actually continued dating drunk people for quite a while into my sobriety. Wow. <laughs> again, I had a lot of growth to do. But um, so we create these relationships and often marriages when we're not in a great space. And then you get sober and all of a sudden the dynamic of your entire relationship changes, right? Because sure. how you connected with your person revolved around drinking and often some really unhealthy, toxic behaviors. So now you have somebody getting sober And how do you reconcile all of the things? Because now you don't have the drink to numb the feelings and the overwhelm and the confusion and the, oh shit, what do I do? Now you're really facing it. Like how, if you're that person, like how do you start healing that? This, (laughs) that's like the, yeah. So, um, where do I begin? I mean, you've been through this, right? You, you've kind of taken these steps. I mean, the way I see it, is you have someone that starts healing, whether it's from an addiction or um, they they stop drinking, they stop being abusive, they stop whatever. There was a, a difficulty in the relationship and in their life and it created difficulties in their relationship. And so they start changing. Now, this other person's in this place of, uh, uh, who are you? Uh, I don't even know if I can trust you. And when is the when are you going to throw this next brick and when's the shoe going to drop? And I don't know what to think. So you have the victim of such behaviors. If you want to just 
easier for brevity, just call him victim and perpetrator. Uh, then you have the victim of such behavior figuring out, I don't know what to think right now. And I've had to rewire my brain and change my entire life to adapt to this. Well, it depends. I mean, you said that there might be two drinkers in the relationship, but let's just say there wasn't in this first example, there's the other person's not a drinker and now she's getting, or he's getting used to the, uh, person that stopped the addiction or the abusive behavior. They're in this place of, um, no trust. I just don't trust. I don't trust what I see and it's not going to last. And I have all this PTSD because I've went through so much. And so that I've noticed can last. If there's still love in that person's heart, they want it to work out. They want to see the person they met a long time ago and disappeared, or at least the person they thought they were. And so they will kind of go through the struggle, but they'll be upset and they'll maybe be angry and they'll be sad and they'll be, they'll just feel unsafe in so many ways. And maybe they'll even get their power back in ways that say, you son of a bitch, you, you hurt me all this time and all these explosions might happen, but this can, uh, uh decrease the in- intensity of these explosions and, and, um, it can last anywhere from six to 12 months is, is in my calculations. And so when that starts to go away, maybe you can reconnect. If there's still love there, it can happen. Now we take another scenario. Like you said, you got two people that were kind of, Hey, we're partying or drinking or whatever it is, drugs. And, um, one person says, I'm going to start changing. I'm going to start working on this and they start healing. But you have this other person, uh, the other person's not ready a lot of the times. If they are great, maybe you can do it together. Maybe it can work. But if you don't know the other person as a healed person, now you're in a situation that is completely strange. And um, I think what ends up happening most of the time, and maybe you can say this is true or not. I think what ends up happening most of the time is that the, the person that might still have the unhealthy habits or the abusive behavior um, that might've been in the other person as well, they believe that there's nothing wrong with them. And when they see the other person starting to heal, they think there's something wrong with them or they will start to feel judged. Even if the other person's not judging them, they're just working on themselves. And so the unhealthy person for lack of a better term right now, um, is looking at the healthy person thinking, why are you doing this to us? And so I think there's a lot of resentment that can build from the unhealthy person and the healthy person's thinking, I just want to improve my life. I I just want to improve myself. And sometimes it would be great if you came with me, but you know, I'm not going to force that upon you. This is another wild example, but, um, if you would like to, that's great, but you know, I'm not going to force you to do it. But then there can be also some resentment on that side too. Like, Oh my God, I'm seeing all these behaviors that I used to do and I don't like them and I don't like being around them. So to funnel this down into a, a quick condensed version, I think that a lot of the time it can't work uh, very well if the unhealthy person doesn't think it's a good idea or doesn't think it's wrong or doesn't think it's unhealthy or doesn't think it's toxic right. to stop doing what they're doing. If they don't think it's a problem right, and the healthy person thinks it's a problem for them, then I, I start to see these values shifting or not shifting, but unbalanced. So you used to share values, right. but now you don't. My value is now my health. My value is now my mental state. My value is my friends. And, and these, and this person don't have, doesn't have the same values. 
And so that shifts the relationship into a point where it may not be able to be sustained. And so I don't want to put that out there and say, okay, it's bad news for everyone that wants to heal because I've learned in my life that the more you honor yourself, the more you start working on yourself and reflecting and really doing the best you can for yourself, you will lose people. You, you people that will not support you wanting to be the best version of you. They want you to be the version that they want you to be. And so the people that you lose will be the ones that had a certain image of you and they want to keep that image of you. They had a certain level of control maybe of you and they want to keep that control or they don't want to feel alone because they're doing things that maybe they're not too proud of. And it's nice to have somebody else to do those things that <laughs> make them feel not so unproud of themselves. And so I do, I do see that in any type of healing scenario with a relationship, one person starts to heal. The other person says, I don't have to heal. There's nothing wrong with me. And that usually shifts it so much that the relationship may not survive. It can, there is hope. If there, if there's really love in between them and they really want to work at work at it together, but sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it, it can cause that kind of thing. I don't know. You tell me, is this what happened in your life when you started healing and other people were in your life? Did they kind of float away or? Yeah, I definitely had the experience of, you know, we just went different directions. Um, and I always it wasn't a falling talk, out. It was more like a not at all, I not don't at drink all anymore. Or, yeah, okay. But I always say too, it's like probably like for people that went to college at the normal college age, right? Like there's probably one or two of those people you still talk to, but when you graduated college and moved back to your respective places, like you just go different directions, right? Or maybe some of your college friends didn't make it through college. Maybe they quit for some reason or whatever. Or if you work somewhere and you have a group of friends and you go work somewhere else, you're going to go different directions. So to me, it again was just kind of a natural progression. You know, they, my drinking friends, right, they kept drinking and I love them. I didn't lose any love for them. I adore them to this day. But my life was going a different way, right? And they weren't calling me and asking me to go do non-drinking things right? because our friendships were really based on drinking. So yeah, I let those things go. But I've had the same things happen uh, in my business journey, right? As you know, I'm an entrepreneur and as I've grown and started more businesses and doing those things, which I'm very passionate about, you know, there are people that don't see your vision. And that can be very negative about it. And so I have definitely let people go in that arena as well. So I think it's just normal, you know, but I did not have that happen in relationships because I'm not a big relationshipper anyway, um, because it's, it's just challenging. (laughs) Well, it's just so challenging and I am really selfish and, and I really (laughs) like me and (laughs) I really like my life and, you know, relationships are just so much compromise all the time. (laughs) You know, it really is. And, and I love that for other people. I just don't know at this stage of my life that I'm so crazy about the idea. Um, I think maybe by 60, I think I'll be ready to settle oh. down. So I've got, I've got some years to, that I don't need to worry about it. I, I think it does help to have a very open, very honest, very supportive, kind, respectful person in your life where you don't feel like you're in a relationship. Yeah, You just feel like, 
somebody's got your back. Yeah. Somebody wants to watch a movie with you. And it's not a, why didn't you get the bread at the store? Yes. And well, I told you to get bread when you were there and you didn't get any. What the hell? Now we yeah. ha- now I have to go out and waste more gas and blah, blah, blah. So, well, it and feels- being on both sides of this, right? Having been the abuser and having been an abusee, um, you know, I had two major relationship rock bottom moments, I call them. Mm-hmm. And one was pretty early in my recovery when I realized that I really need to work on myself, my self-esteem. Like, why am I still picking super dysfunctional people when I am getting my shit together and becoming less dysfunctional, right? Like where is the dissonance there? What do I need to work on within myself to stop picking these kind of people? Good for you. That's great. So that was my first rock bottom moment. My second relationship rock bottom was many, many years later, 10 years later probably. And I was in a relationship that was really, I was not kind. And I, I wasn't an awful human. I'm a pretty good girlfriend, but <laughs> I definitely, I, I have my spots, right? Like I hit a certain place once I feel like I can't trust a person, once there is some sort of wound, whatever it may be, um, I shut down and mm. I cannot come back from that. Right. And then it it became this game with myself of like, okay, what are you doing? And then it's the withholding. And I really wasn't very kind to him. He was much more serious about me than I ever was about him. And I knew that from the beginning, but I didn't tell him that. So, you know, I really reaped all the benefits of all of that as long as it was fun and convenient for me. So that was my second rock bottom moment is when I realized like, oh, hey, Angela, look, you know, all those guys you dated all those years that you were really pissed off at for treating you like this. Well, look at you, my friend. Now you're doing it to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're highlighting something you brought up earlier, uh, just kind of gave me a brain zing zing here. Um, And that was something about um, your... Your personal defects, or what'd you call them? Is that what character defects? Character defects, and we we started getting into that, and I thought that was a great little thing to talk about, or at least bring up, because um, I had I when I started discovering my character defects, uh, my abusive behaviors, and just the weird things that I expected from my partners, and even in life when I was a people pleaser, expecting other people to reciprocate my overzealous people pleasing. They're never going to be able to reciprocate enough for me to be happy. So I started, um, I started realizing these things about myself and, uh, there was one point and I think this was the shift for me. There was one point where I realized maybe I'm just kind of a, a dummy, you know, maybe I'm just an idiot. I had these thoughts and I, I, I'm forgetful and it's all these little weird things started coming up in my late twenties. And, um, it wasn't really then when I learned about my toxic behavior, but it, it changed my philosophy of, of, um, character defects. And I started thinking that I might be just stupid. And that really brought me down. It really hit, made me feel bad. And I almost thought that I was mentally challenged. I was that down. I just, mm-hmm. just put these thoughts in my head. And then I said, um, I don't know how long after that I said, well, okay, what if I am mentally challenged? What if I am just a dummy? And I said, so what? <laughs> I thought, what if I am? So what? And then I, that just kind of dawned on me like, 
what do you mean? So what? I started having a conversation with myself. So what? Who cares? You're a dummy. Just go, go in life and be a dummy. And I thought, what? And I realized by doing that, accepting this belief I had about myself, which I don't think is true. Maybe parts of me, uh, but, but back then I just accepted it. Okay. I'm a dummy. All of a sudden, all the burden of that feeling disappeared. All the stress of believing it might be true disappeared. And from that point on, and it took many, many years to really uh, settle into this philosophy now, is just uh, when I discover a character defect, I own it. I say, yeah, that's who I am. Hey, Paul, you're not that good looking. Yeah, that's true. I'm not that good looking. Hey, Paul, you're, you know, you got, you got 20 pounds extra. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's saying you know, I'm, I'm overweight. In fact, um, let's talk about it. You know, yeah, you notice my belly. I'm overweight. Yeah, okay. Uh, things like that. And these are just examples. Some of them are true. <laughs> but I, I started owning this stuff. Yeah. And I, I noticed when I owned what I didn't like about myself or what I didn't want to accept about myself, the fear of that, the stress around that, the resistance around that, that created more tension inside of me disappeared. So owning this stuff, just like you can talk about your past and say, oh yeah, it was emotionally abusive. I withheld and I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a great girlfriend, but sometimes I'm mean and, or, you know, you don't say these things, but uh, I don't like to compromise. And uh, all this is, is every, everyone deals with this kind of crap in our lives. Is this a lot of us don't want to <laughs> admit it. But as soon as we admit it and say, yeah, that, that's, that's who I am. And that's what I you know. I'm working on that, but who cares? You know, this is who I am. I own it. And then it goes away because I find that resisting what you feel about yourself can cause a lot of tension and problems, uh, like a, a secondarily kind of thing. Like I already have all these problems and now I resist all these problems that I have. I'm not going to own them because that means I'm a bad person or I'm a stupid person or I'm an ugly person. But if I own them, Oh my God, I, I feel so much better. Yeah, that's just who I am. You just have to accept me for, for how I'm showing up. And that's how you create that resentment with your person too, because if mm. your person gives you some feedback, even if it's not great, right? You don't feel great about it. There's truth in it, especially mm. with somebody that knows you well. But if you get defensive and you can't just own your own stuff and who you are and you get defensive then what could have been a really healthy problem-solving conversation turns into a fight, That's a right? Great, and everybody's yeah. mad and everybody's unhappy and it's a knockdown drag out and it could have just been a conversation. I'm so guilty of that. I've, I've done that so many times. I've had somebody, uh, usually a romantic partner will say, like this really happened. Um, my wife, when I was married, she said, um, I, was t I was telling her about this guy I worked with and I said, you know, he makes these jokes and he wants everyone to laugh. And I said, they're not funny. And I feel like I have to be polite and laugh at them every time. But he makes these jokes. And she's, she's looking at me and she starts laughing and laughing. I said, what are you laughing about? She goes, you do the same thing. I said, no, no, I don't. That's not me. I don't do. He makes do. And I couldn't think of what else to say. And I finally said, oh, my God, this is how she perceives me, I guess. I guess that's it. I guess that's true. I did the same thing. And so I, I finally accepted that that's how she saw me and that's her reality. And um, it wasn't that she didn't love me anymore. It wasn't that she right. was putting me down. She was just, like you said, let's have a conversation about this. Because it could have turned into, if I wasn't so personally offended, it could have turned into, oh my God, I do that too. Ha 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 ha. Right. That's funny. I didn't think about that. 
And so I, I've actually had to work on that. Even in this relationship, I'm in the greatest relationship of my life. And now when she says something, she says, you just take it so damn personally. This isn't, I'm not saying I don't love you. I'm not saying that we need to get a breakup. We not, I'm not saying any of this stuff. I'm just saying this because that was my observation. And I said, oh, palm to forehead, you're right. Yeah. And and you're right. Like what people hear is you're saying I'm a bad person right. and I'm not worthy and you love me less because I have this quality. And it's like, no, we all have stuff that needs work. There's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's perfect. You're not going to be perfect. You know, <laughs> that feedback is so important though. You have to hear that stuff. And I think too, if I'm super sensitive about something, a behavior that somebody else does, I'm usually sensitive about it because I do it too. <laughs> so a, that's yeah. where I check myself. Also, when I get ready to complain about something, or why is this person doing that or doing this? Why do they talk like that? I'll stop and go, oh, wait a minute. Do I do that? Mm. I probably do that. And that's why I'm sensitive to it. It's probably something that irks me in myself even. Yeah, it's a great point. So crazy. My, my girlfriend once said, she goes, oh, she goes, you're, or you're just being stupid or something like that. She said, you're just stupid or being stupid or you're being an idiot or something like that. She said something like that. And I started laughing. And I used to be wholly offended by that. I started laughing and she goes, what are you laughing about? The kind of a reverse. What are you laughing about? And I said, um, you know, I would be offended if I thought that were true. And, <laughs> and that changed the whole conversation. She laughed. I said, I know I'm not an idiot, you know, now. Yeah. I, I know I'm not an idiot. Yeah. So uh, it was just funny to think that when we're offended, there's usually a part of us that might uh, believe it. And I think that's why Absolutely. we're offended. And, yeah, and you're like sensitive you to it because you already think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. What a great conversation. I really appreciate your work and your time. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell everybody where is the best place to find you. I appreciate your work too. Thank you so much for having me. Anybody can find me at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. That's where I host that podcast and I get a few blog articles over there. Um, and loveandabuse.com. It's my other podcast for emotionally abusive relationships and that uh, I've been doing that for a couple of years. And that's kind of where um, I help both sides, the victim and the abuser, because I've been on both sides. So I kind of know the story there, but uh, that's where you can find me. And thank you everyone for listening to this whole episode. <laughs> and for all you listeners, I will link that in the show notes as well. So you can get there right from your podcast app and we'll keep it nice and simple for you. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you, Angela. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.